Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and truths and practices learned from believers and persecution to help you cross the street and cross the oceans with the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Anthony Ball. We have a very special podcast episode today. We're actually joined by Nick and Ruth. Ruth is obviously the better half of all of this. And uh, we have a special podcast episode because we, a few weeks ago, asked our listeners and asked our followers on social media, will you give us your questions? What would you ask Nick and Ruth, life, ministry, whatever it is, uh, we wanted to hear from you and have you give us your questions. And so today we're going to spend an episode having Nick and Ruth answer your questions uh, that you've given to them. And so I'm excited to hear uh, what you have asked and what Nick and Ruth want to to answer and the the wisdom that they're going to give us today. So Nick and Ruth, welcome to the show. How are you both doing today? Thank you. And just to make sure... We clear something up. There's three of us talking, and still Ruth is the better half of the <laughs> of the three of us. All right. We're I don't know if that says a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. I don't know if that says a lot for her. Or us. A, yeah, if she's fifty percent of three of us, that's a whole lot more than being fifty percent of two of us. <laughs> That just, it drives the percentage of Nick and I down further and further and further. Where we ought to be. <laughs> where where we belong. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but well, we want to. We, we have more places. We can climb higher than she can. She has further to fall. <laughs> we have further to climb. Exactly. There, there's there's no further lower that she can go. But All right. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I'm excited about this. This is going to be good. And uh, Nick and Ruth, we got really good questions uh, from our listeners. And I think that you're going to be able to speak to a lot of of people who are uh, probably dealing with some issues now. We've got even some questions from from the field that I think you're going to be able to provide some great wisdom on. And so I'm going to go ahead and get into the questions if you're okay with that. And I know that we're going to be anxious to, to hear what you have to say. But let me give you the first question that we got from our listeners, and I have a feeling this question is probably uh, coming from the hearts and souls of a lot of people in, in America and in the West. I think I've probably asked this question myself, but the question is, can I, in my comfortable Western church, develop the same radical devotion to Christ? I'm assuming they're referring to the believers in persecution that right. you teach about and, and share the stories of. Can I, in my comfortable Western church, develop this same radical devotion to Christ? Yeah, I think if um, they understand the depth that they're coming from in that the two biggest hindrances to the kingdom of God is racism and and consumerism. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've said before, and Ruth certainly heard me say it a lot, is that I grew up so poor that I heard my father say and my grandfather say, I'd rather be poor and go to heaven than rich and go to hell. And when I got to Africa, my number one, number one adjustment wasn't language, wasn't culture, wasn't the food. It wasn't anything, but if I have, and Ruth and I gave our boys and I provided for my wife adequate shelter, adequate food. We could drive, you know, a couple hours to medical care. 
she homeschooled uh, and, and I provide that clean water and, and all of that stuff, I realized within the first couple of years, I'm in the top 5% of the richest people in Africa. Mm. And I am the rich young ruler that Jesus commands to go out and sell everything that I have and come and serve him. And for the most part, what your listener uh, needs to understand is that, uh, let's put it this way. When believers in persecution come to America, and Ruth and I keep up with 10 of them, after 10 years, approximately, only one of them is still practicing their faith in America. And they've got mm. scars on their back from being beaten. They have calluses on their wrists and ankles from being chained. Uh, they have emotional, physical scars that, that clearly demonstrate they were willing to die for Christ. And then somebody rescued them and brought them to America. Mm. And a couple things happened. They looked at the commitment of Christians around them and said, this is the Christianity I was willing to die for. But they also would say things like, uh, it, uh, why would I sell everything uh, to find the pearl of great price when everybody has a bucket of pearls? And why would hmm. I need to go and, and sell all that I've got to buy the field that I discovered a treasure in when I already own houses and fields. And so again, racism and consumerism, materialism are the two biggest hindrances to the kingdom of God. And that defines the American church that is a multi, 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 multi billion dollar industry. And the cost of seeing Muslims come to faith is less than $10,000, I think, per Muslim. And the cost for every American baptized is two or three, four million dollars. It's way mm. up there when, when you look at all the buildings and property and possessions and salaries and things of, of that nature. And so, but the, the answer still is uh, yes, absolutely yes. Uh, but, but it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of obedience. Mm. It's a matter of, of, of determining that my uh, coming to Christ uh, gives me the opportunity to share Christ with others. And, and, and when I watch someone else give their lives to Jesus, because Ruth and I or others shared a Christian witness with them, when we watch their lives change, it, it authenticates our own walking with Jesus. And it authenticates mm. uh, our own faith to see somebody else change. But the opposite is true. The, the less that you see lives changed and, and, and you're uh, just sort of surrounding yourself with institutional Christianity, uh, denominational Christianity, and you're not seeing families come to Christ and, and people baptized that have never been to church, it, it's very difficult to authenticate your faith uh, when you don't see it uh, being reproduced in others who are so far from Jesus. And so uh, the answer has to be yes. And I'll let Ruth chime in here a little bit. And then Anthony, uh, since you're the one that lives in America, <laughs> uh, you know, actually, and we're still getting used to it. 
Uh, mm. Maybe you're chime in, but Ruth, what would you say? Well, I, I think it has to be a yes because Jesus commands us uh, to take up our cross and follow him. And so whether mm. we're li living on this side of the globe or alongside our brothers and sisters in persecution, we all have that command to pick up our cross and follow. And uh, it, yes, it may be comfortable, but that doesn't mean you have to stay comfortable. You can do things outside the walls of your church that can help you um, do something that's very uncomfortable to you so that you can experience a boldness that Christ mm -hmm. gives when you're walking um, alongside people who don't know Christ. And as Nick was saying, watching someone turn their life over to Christ, that can radically change you and you will never be the same. We, we know that mm -hmm. Jesus had a house or apartment separate from his parents when he started his ministry, but he had to borrow somebody's donkey to ride in the victory, you know, in the victories parade into Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, uh, he had whatever clothes that he could carry with him as he went to uh, Judea and, and Samaria. And, and it was obvious that uh, they caught their fish uh, in order to feed themselves and, and they had to live on the generosity of the women who followed him that said they, they brought uh, all of their earthly goods and, and they, and they gave them to, to Christ's ministry. And so um, I, I think when I described America, the way I did, I didn't do so to be ugly, but to let people know it's a hard job. Uh, mm. When people are begging you to tell them about Christ and they're coming to Christ literally by thousands in, in some of the places we've served, uh, that just does something. Your soul is singing all the time when you're from a culture where 93% of the people baptized were born in the church. Um, that That is to be expected uh, and, and it doesn't, and while we rejoice over those that are true salvations, um, it's still very difficult to watch as a lot of these baptisms become teenagers and high school students and see them no longer continue in the faith. Mm. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think in my experience, one of the things that I've seen, you know, how can I develop the same radical uh, devotion or obedience? You guys are exactly right because it's, we're all, we're commanded. And I think from an American perspective, sometimes we feel like we see these believers persecution. It's in a far off land. It's very ethereal. You know, it's hard to grasp. And so it's just this, this otherworldly concept almost, but what are they doing? They're doing the same things that Christ commanded us to do. They're going across the street. They're taking Jesus to their neighbors and to their friends. And, and so I would, um, I would totally agree with that. Of course you can develop that. It doesn't mean it's easy. And right. like, like Nick said, it is a little bit harder in the American context, the American church, but we do get to take the command of Jesus seriously. And, and I think uh, one of my biggest disappointments is watching some of my colleagues retire and come back to America. And because they can't mm. figure out how to do what they were doing overseas, it's within a year, they're back within 
denominational church culture, and 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 it's like they haven't been overseas. Other of her, mm. others of them come back and and they do house groups and 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 they are focusing on people who have no church experience and they're focusing on families and reaching families and 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 they're, they're doing something that's uh, uh, closer to the New Testament model of Cornelius and his household, the Philippian jailer and their household, and Crispus and Lydia and their household, rather than the buildings, because the way Christianity grows is not by bigger congregations. It's by more and more and more and more congregations, uh, hmm. and generally in houses. And if you have an Acts 2 and Acts 4 experience locally, uh, we, we don't have any place to house them. And if, if Acts 2 yeah. and Acts 4 became common, where people are, are giving their lives to Christ by the tens of thousands, uh, we can't build buildings fast enough to house them. And so there are biblical ways of witnessing and being fervent about that, and also biblical ways of, uh, of having a place to meet that doesn't involve uh, 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 you know, very expensive buildings, but we have developed a faith system that the functions of the body of Christ have to be done by ordained clergy and ordained clergy have to make a living. And therefore that requires, uh, I think, um, I think I heard somewhere uh, that it generally takes a, a, a congregation of a hundred to 150 to pay for a full-time uh, pastor and then mm. to add uh, others after that, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, significant numbers uh, just to, to meet the needs of, of Christians as far as buildings and, and budgets, buildings and property and, 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 and uh, whatever it is that we mortgages that we pay the bank. Uh, so church budgets are three things. It's properties and buildings and mortgages. It's, it's staff salaries and it's programs for those who are already in church. That's mm. 95 cents. And then usually a nickel goes to the nations. And, and, and so mm. uh, it's just hard up and down the scale, but it has to be done deliberately. What we do with our seminary students where we teach Anthony, uh, one of the finals that they can take is a case study that you're going to take the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8 seriously. And Jesus said, uh, you are commanded to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we ask uh, seminary students, sometimes other college students mixed in, and, and there'll be pastors and staff members and missionaries on furlough, those who are want to go to the field, are planning to go to the field. And, and so we ask them, if, if your church that you're attending uh, takes the Great Commission seriously, how would you uh, staff Jerusalem? How would you staff uh, uh, Judea, staff Samaria, staff the ends of the earth? How would you fund it, support it, send it out, train it? And, and so uh, is to get people off of just thinking about Jerusalem and what it would take to reach the ends of the earth and, and turn people loose. And so 
Uh, it can mm. be done, but it has to be done with intentionality. And it has to be done uh, believing that every Muslim soul, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every communist soul is as important to God uh, as, as any Western soul or any American soul mm. or any Bible Belt soul. And, and, and so the racism and the materialism are big uh, hindrances that we have to crucify at times uh, uh, to, in order to move on and leave, live, live the type of life that, that believers in persecution do. You see, uh, the persecutors have been stupid in some places, very, very foolish, <laughs> and taken everything away from them. Hmm. And the Chinese have said to us, uh, these were the old, old, uh, old line, like uh, Pastor Yao and, uh, uh, and, 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 oh, I'm missing some of the names now. Yeah, uh, Samuel Lamb and others that we were with, uh, they said by the end of 48 and 49, we knew that the communists were not going to be happy until every church building was closed, burnt, turned into uh, uh, beer halls and brothels. And they weren't going to be happy until every Christian was dead. So we said, well, uh, since they're going to take our lives anyway, let's not sell them cheap. Let's go out witnessing. Let's go out telling people for Christ. And you know what? They outgrew the communist ability uh, to arrest them and kill them. Hmm. They outgrew wow. them. They out-evangelized them. They out-loved them. And it really... It really puts a, a wrench in the communist ability to persecute when the persecutors give their lives to Jesus. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. No, I mean you're you're exactly right. And uh, again, it's just that that principle of just taking that first step with Jesus, and that's what believers in persecution have have taught us that you just be faithful to what Jesus has commanded you to do. And I think we can tell our, our listener who, who sent in this question and just keep going, keep taking those steps, keep being obedient, keep doing what Jesus has commanded you to do. And that I would say from an American perspective, that's pretty radical in some of our churches. But always and, take, always take others with you because people come to Christ hmm. when they meet someone their age and their gender uh, who's in Christ. And so as you go to families, uh, take someone like Ruth and I with you. Uh, we'll take young couples with us, with young children, mm. older children. We want singles to go with us, men and women, because when we go to families, that's the makeup of that family. And so when they hear and experience the love of Christ and hear the Bible stories from different age groups and from both genders, uh, it, it makes them write themselves into that story. Mm. And, pe and people will buy in when they watch what God's doing in your life and they see his blessings and others from your church who are just, you know, biding their time will say, hey, I want that. And then they'll start joining you. And uh, and, I, and that's when the church really does take on the, the mantle that of, of what she's supposed to be doing. Mm. I love that. Let's go on to the next question. We got a few more to get through. Uh, the next question, I think this actually also comes from a listener uh, overseas as well, but they ask, what is, what is your top advice 
to maintain a strong marriage on the field? What is your top advice to maintain a strong marriage on the field? Well, I'm going to let Ruth answer from her side. <laughs> from my side is uh, Mary Ruth. And, uh, and, and take her as far out into rural Africa as I can. And, 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 and I get better looking every year when, when, <laughs> when, when I, I'm, you know, there, there's very few people like me around. And, and, uh, uh, and I will tell you, well, you know what? I had forgotten. Uh, guys ask me this question Uh-oh. all the time. And I say, before you go to the field, or if you're on furlough, buy some presents for your wife uh, that you can give to her on birthdays, on Valentine's Day and special days. Buy buy some things, even intimate wear. Buy that and give that to your wife, but buy special things and, and do that uh, uh, secretly. And, and then when, when you have those times when it's just you or things get hard, uh, uh, giving your wife gifts, and I love giving my wife gifts, but uh, hmm. uh, but it just it not only makes her know that I'm thinking about her at the moment, but it makes her understand that I was thinking about her three years ago, or or, or uh, four yeah. years ago when we we're on that on that furlough. Now I have a big problem, Anthony. Everywhere I go in this world, I buy Ruth gifts. I buy anniversary presents and Christmas presents and birthday presents, and I bring them home and I lose them. He, hide, he I hides them, them. And I can't remember. And, you forget and she, where you hid them. And she finds them when we move to somewhere else. <laughs> so a whole lot of good that one did me. That's what you need to do is you need to wrap them. And then tell them, tell her where you hid them and say, you can't open this for six months, but I don't want you to forget where I hid it. No, I don't want but, her to know I bought them for her. But, that- but, but he has a problem. <laughs> Wrapping gifts is not his, his uh, gifting. Yeah, I, but I'll wait till somebody's visiting and have them wrap them for me. <laughs> if I remember <laughs> where I put them. I think that's why Amazon does so well on the... Uh, They'll send send something as a gift. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, real Africa is sort of slow on Amazon when <laughs> when, when we went out. So I can't imagine. I th- I think one thing I would say is um, make make it an adventure that the two of you are on an adventure mm-hmm. and each day is a gift. Um, don't get tired of of loving your husband or vice versa, but do things Mm -hmm. together that allow you to minister together, but also have fun together and make your children, especially if you have children, part of that adventure and always um, making plans. And when you're tired, don't say things that you regret. Be be cautious how you, because Mm -hmm. it can, it can wear you down and you'll say things that you you know, you might snap and say things. And so bite your tongue sometimes. Um, make sure you do um, a, a, a devotions together. Uh, make sure you pray together. 
Those are things that are very, very important. Um, one of the things I love about my husband is I love to listen to him pray. And I have loved this mm. from the day that I met him. And um, when I hear him pray, I hear his heart. And that allows me to connect also to him and to his, his Lord. And uh, I get to experience that. So praying together, doing life together. And many of you know, for many weeks, we would be apart. Um, so spending time in prayer, even when we're apart, knowing our routine of, of praying before we go to bed at night and praying in the mornings, um, those were important mm -hmm. to continue for myself, but also for our boys. They needed to know that, that this was something dad expected of them. And as dad would go off into Somalia or around the globe, um, our boys would step up and they would um, continue the process of being the men of the house and protecting me and taking care of me and helping me and mm. doing all those things that they'd watch their dad model. And uh, I know we've all said it before, but the best way you can teach your children about marriage is to allow yourselves to love each other in front of them. So they see, mm. uh, see you loving, they see you, um, at, at doing life together. And I think that's been a, a thing I've, I hope that we have gifted our boys with. I find when I've had to be gone for weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time, that's not the times it's hard to keep my marriage fresh because there's always coming home and celebrating that. And Ruth would, uh, would, mm. would set up a weekend where we could immediately go away and, have someone take care of the boys. But our first five years on the mission field, uh, if we were apart a week in five years, our first five years on the mission field, we were probably together more than most American marriages are together for 25, 30 years. Wow. Because, and now today, uh, uh, we barely, American families barely eat a, a meal together and mm. kids are coming to and from the table and the TV is on and, and all this stuff is, and, and the sports craze. I mean, to, to come <laughs> back to America and find church people uh, uh, not going to church on, on Sundays because their kids are in a sports tournament and now seeing yeah. that pastors are taking personal days because their children are involved in some kind of pageant or sports. Uh, uh, this has astounded us. And, and so that reads into even the first question about being radically sold out to God and, and the, the billions and billions of dollars that uh, we spend on our sports for our children when very few of them will even play, start sports in high school. But, oh, yeah. but, still, but still, when Ruth and I were together, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, years at a time. That's when I had to really work on keeping our marriage fresh. Mm. She's really and, good at this. She is the and, better half of this. And, and sometimes I would just call her. Uh, and, and, like I went out for groceries or something and say, you know, and, and, and ask her out on a date. Or, or sometimes <laughs> I would just say, you know, uh, set up can we set up the living room or something like that 
uh, and let the boys go with an aunt or an uncle and and have a, a night together. And, and but you you have to be creative about it again, uh, and you have to uh, I think uh, premeditatively, uh, especially if you're going to rural places where the shopping is uh, a minor, and, and take things with you and make sure that you're uh, 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 having each other on on, on your heart. And, and because otherwise, uh, especially these days with the internet, you can get impure in a, in a heartbeat. Mm, absolutely. So you've got to have your heart focused on, on the one that you love, the one that you marry. And, and, and when you have temptation, run from it and, and mm. share it. Uh, but I, I have reveled probably too much and having Ruth to myself on a mission field <laughs> and, and, and having our grandson now five days a week for most weeks and remembering what it was like to have our boys out in the bush and having them 24 seven and, and, and wishing that I'd done some things different with them than I'm doing with our grandson. But it was intensely uh, a marriage oriented and parent oriented, uh, because we were all that we had. Hmm. Well, I really like that statement. You were all that you had. <laughs> and, and I think one of the things that comes to my mind that uh, I know I've heard in different workshops with you all, and you talk about in the past is it's particularly important for, because this question comes from overseas, it's particularly important for those workers that uh, you know, we all know and love in different parts of the world that are in really, really hard, almost isolated places. Um, you've used the phrase many times, they need a place to pray and a, and a place to, to play. And so one of the things that I think, even from an, an American church pers perspective, we don't think about sometimes, you think about missionary couples and families over, overseas and on the field. Uh, the, the question specifically was, how do you maintain a strong marriage? I do think it's really important. You've probably seen this in your own life. It's important to have um, that that safety net around you. You've got community and people who are who are able to to take the kids. You've got community who are praying for you, checking up on you, making sure um, that you're able to to live out your marriage and your life the way that you'd like to do. I know that can be hard for people who are in some of these more rural and isolated places around the world. Um, what would you say to some of those people? Uh, maybe they're in a very difficult context. Um, people that I, I'm sure that you've worked with those kind of people a lot in the past. What would you say to, to workers like that? I think number one is ask for help. Don't, mm. don't stay isolated. Make sure you have, um, people that check on you, just like you said. Um, and before you even go have people in the pipeline who will, call you and check on you, who will come and see you, who will look at you in your eyes and say, Hey, I'm just checking to see if you're healthy. Um, mm. and, and then I think the thing that Nick and I realized is often you get on the edge of, of the world and you don't have anywhere to go play and pray, like you said. And mm -hmm. so you don't, you don't worship and you don't lead your family in worship or it becomes so routine that it's not, um, it's not helping you. Or you have no place to take vacation. You have, 
you have to save money, thousands of dollars to get on an airplane and take your family somewhere where you can mm. actually have some vacation. And so how do you yeah. how do you build into the system before you even get to that um, place that's isolated that these people every month or every few weeks are going to call and check on you and they're going to schedule a time when they come out and they take your kids, they watch your kids and say, get out of here. Here's money. Go, <laughs> go have a vacation, go spend time together, go retreat. Um, mm. And they'll love on our children um, because sometimes your our children are hard to love on and they'll, take over and they'll do things <laughs> that they'll uh, th our kids will listen to them probably more than they listen to us and so building that before you go to the field is very important and if churches would grasp the task that, that is before them they'll offer these things even if somebody hasn't built it into the system and you know mm. I, I um especially we learn in Somalia we'd bring out a counselor that we knew and trusted to meet with our Somali team. And we would take a week once a year to just meet for seven days on strategy. We'd go to somewhere really nice uh, and, and let that place take care of us. But we're just gonna work on strategy. But then one week a year, we're gonna uh, feed ourselves and we would have a trained, uh, trusted counselor come out sometimes a couple, sometimes by themselves. And the first year our Somali team said, you're making us see a counselor? And, <laughs> and it was such a, a wonderful experience. The second year they said, when they all came out, what time on the schedule do you have us to see the counselor? And the third year they came out and said, get out of my way. I've got to get to the counselor. And, and, and they just knew that they deserved it. But, and, and then one counselor said to me, uh, uh, you know, they were very, um, they, they don't tell us anything that's confidential, but one couple that was struggling a little bit, and he knew I needed this in my toolbox, along with, he knew that I would tell Ruth. He said, he said, Nick, uh, you need to remind your men on the mission field, and I think this would be true of men everywhere, that intimacy at night with your spouse starts at the breakfast table. Mm, that's really good. You know, and, 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 and so keeping that uh, in, in mind and, and always uh, looking with love in your eyes and, 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 and yet, the generation of men your age and younger has it much worse than I did. Uh, but uh, if someone hasn't said it to the men in your church and, and, and around you, is that when it comes to the stuff that's on the internet and, and the dressed up pornography that's out there, mm. there, there's not a wife on the mission field or in ministry along with her husband that can compete with that stuff. Yeah, and and that gets in your mind, and that gets in your heart, and so it's not only what you do; it's what you don't do. That's exactly and, right. And it's not only what you bring in to consume in your house; it's also the trash that you take out, and you don't mm. bring the trash back in. You you you, you get rid of it. Uh, but 
but uh, but you build on on good marriages, and a lot of mission agencies do a good job of, of making sure that you're strong uh, as you go out. But you, you'll learn a lot from your national brothers and sisters, and you'll see a lot of them that have very little in the way of of the goods of this earth. We've probably been a part of a hundred weddings in rural Africa, and we're families, married families. And they really check one another out and they want to know the quality of Christianity that's from one village to the other village before they match their sons and daughters. And out of those hundreds of, uh, of weddings, we, we don't know a single one that ended in a divorce. Wow. That's incredible. And, and if you're from a church culture, that divorce in your church is the same percentage it is outside the church. Uh, you, you need to talk to Jesus. You, you mm. probably need to believe in Jesus and, and, <laughs> and, and get your heart right with him. Mm. But we're passionate. Let me, let me give you a, let me give you something I've never said. Uh Oh, we're ready for it. Uh, we noticed back in the day and sadly the world's caught up with us. But young men who were extremely gifted would come work with us in the most isolated places in Africa and North Africa and Middle East, where the Internet was almost non-existent. And it was their way of dealing with pornography because they couldn't download mm. pictures. Mm. Where we lived in Ethiopia for a long time, it's changed now. But if you want to download a, a, a financial form or a photograph that your family was sending you, well, just turn your computer on, plug it into the telephone, do that old hookup, uh, go do breakfast, go your, do your devotions, go out and exercise <laughs> and come back and something is starting to load on the bottom of the screen and then it's going to kick you off. But, mm. but what we found was when these single young men, especially, uh, returned to the mission field with a wife, uh, when she became pregnant with their first child and became unavailable to him and she's not feeling good about herself and her feet are swelling and you know mm. what women uh, mentally, emotionally and physically go through to uh, bear a child, her husband will find a way to get on the internet and she'll catch him watching that stuff. Mm. And That's you can awful. imagine what it does to that marriage. And so mm. Ruth and I had a practice our last 10 years or so in the mission field as speeds got higher, whether they were from Assemblies of God or Baptists or Campus Crusade, YWAM, whether they were with Mennonites, it doesn't matter. Uh, if a young couple that we knew had in our house were, getting, were, were pregnant with their first child, I would just go out and have coffee with that guy and say, you know, I don't know you from Adam. But if you've ever had problem with bad stuff on the internet, Satan's after you. Now that your yeah. wife's pregnant with your first child, Satan is after you. And if you've ever had trouble with those images, then you go home today and talk to your wife. If you've never talked to her, especially you go home and talk to her and tell her the attack that you're under and then call us. And tomorrow night you come to our house and you'll have a, 
a meal with, with Nick and Ruth and we'll make a plan. Anthony, a hundred percent of young couples took us up on it. Praise wow. God. That shows you what a problem it is, but it also shows yeah. you that the, the body can take care of each other and we can, exactly fix, right. we can fix this. And, and, yeah. and yet, and yet, have you ever heard of that in church where you're from? I've never heard of that before. It's so doable. I legitimately have not. You're doing weddings. We're doing weddings. And, 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 and by the time, you know, that first baby's coming around, that Sunday school teacher, that deacon, uh, that man, mm. uh, that couple that, that, that should be mentoring that young couple or the pastor that married them, it's just a great opportunity without any uh, judgment or any condemnation to saying, hey, uh, this is endemic in America. Uh, and, and I know that uh, since you're in Christ, you want to have a Christian marriage. Now that your wife's pregnant, uh, buddy, uh, your TV is full of this stuff. You don't mm. have to get on the Internet. You just have to be on one of the TV plans and, and, and uh, the PG-13 and the R stuff and the mature audiences are, are it, it'll just come on and you won't even be expecting it to come on. That's and exactly so, right. So what keeps your marriage pure and fresh uh, in America will travel well with you. Uh, mm. But I'm not sure we're doing a good job of it in America. And so thank you for the question. It gives us a chance to reinvest in those that blessed us and sent us out. Mm. And I love that because that's something you say in many, many times that um, what you do now at, in, in your home and your local community is what you're going to export if you go overseas. Right. Across the board, whatever the principle it is. If you do it now, right. you'll export that. And part of the problem we've got with young couples are quitting on us because they're FaceTiming uh, with their parents and friends in the States every night for three or four hours. And they mm. quit and go home because they don't build yeah. them deep friends on the mission field, both nationals as well as Westerners. And they, 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 they don't cut the cord with mom and dad or with mm. their local church. And they're all telling them you're doing too much. It's too hard. Yeah, come home. Come home. And, oh, uh, and they're always asking us. And then young missionaries are asking their children. What do they ask them? <laughs> Which do you like better, America or where we live in now? Well, you, oh, don't, no. give, you don't. don't give a child that kind of choice. Your children <laughs> will take your their um, feelings about where they live from their, their self parents, image, their self image from their parents. Exactly. And parents who are confident in who they are in Christ. Those are the children who uh, do well. Parents who are constantly giving them choices. Uh, well, we'll be going home. What's your favorite thing to do when we get to America? Then all of a sudden we're raising children who are always looking um, beyond to the next trip home, to the next trip to America. And uh, that's really hard for our children. Mm. Uh, kids, uh, you, you know, the workers that stay are those who learn the language and have local friends. But the mm. workers that really stay are the ones whose children 
learn the local language and they have local friends that are their best friends. And, and, And it's not brain surgery. It's just that, um, Part of the problem is, and it's not one of the questions that were written in, is that a lot of times when we come home uh, from overseas, uh, churches want you to do a drive-by shooting. They, they want to give you a Sunday morning, maybe 30 minutes. It used to be 45 minutes to an hour. Then it shrunk to 45 minutes. Then it shrunk to 30 minutes. And now <laughs> sometimes it's even that. So how do you even pass the lump? Huh? Even less than that. Even less than that. How do you pass mm-hmm. on what God has been teaching you? And how do you even introduce them to the nations in a Sunday morning service? So Ruth and I don't do it. We rarely, rarely will go anywhere uh, for a Sunday morning service because we don't want to cheat the body of Christ that sacrificed for 35 years to send us out. And, and allow us to do anything God asked of us uh, among the nations. And so we really want, mm. uh, and, and, and it takes a long time to do, like what you and I, what you're leading us to talk about now, you can't do that on Sunday morning in a sermon. There's no way. No way. There's no way. Well, let's keep going the questions, um, because I was going to say you should write a book about what you just uh, what you just shared, uh, all that. But one of the questions from our listeners is, are there any new books in the works? You've got three. Are there any new books in the works? Well, I've described this past week a children's book. Uh, <laughs> no, it's going to be more a children's book, but uh, it, it'll go and cover uh, the children, say, that are eight, nine years of age up till. 12 and 13 years of age, because uh, especially in Eastern Europe and China, uh, places like that, uh, the government uh, does horrible things in schools uh, to the children of Christians and religious Mm. leaders. And and so uh, I think uh, that might not be a very long book, but it'd be an illustrated book on on what it's like uh, to be made stand to stand in the middle of the of your gym in middle school with your principal and administrator standing beside you and he leads the entire school to make fun of you because you're the children of the pastor or mm. the leading local Christians. What is it like to be made to stay after school and go to the principal's office and round the walls of the principal's office or the administrators and your teachers and they're ridiculing you uh, because your 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 daddy and mama are Christians, or your dad's the pastor, or or a Christian leader. Uh, what would our children do if they were if they were the only Christians in their school, and the mm. leaders of the school led their friends and others to make fun of them? Wow! And then I've got a book in me that I probably will write the day uh, published uh, right before I die <laughs> because it's, I've got here a list of stories uh, that missionaries never tell. Uh, every missionary kid, every missionary has airplane stories. They have toilet stories. They, they have funny stories of, uh, of, of underdressed people in the village or uh, all this kind of stuff that goes on. And, 
we've got some of the funniest stories on earth, but uh, people don't expect it from the Ripkins, but we're, we're probably going to write a book on the things that missionaries will never tell you. We're going to tell them. I love that. I really, I don't want to wait that long. So I'm, I'm going to need you to, to write that sooner, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Even calling some of my friends and say, what, what are the stories you've always wanted to tell, but you always couldn't or were afraid to? I'd like to tell that story for you. <laughs> Names have been changed to protect the uh, the innocent, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like after dealing with the persecuted church, we can keep people safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of a children's book, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I know of anything that is similar to that in the world no. today. I mean, there's books about missions and missionaries and things like that, but you're talking about really what is it, what a sacrifice mean and how do you relay that to a child that's yeah, and pretty incredible. It's for parents to read with their children and talk about uh, what if your faith cost you this what if if you were the only believers in school what if your friends were made uh, to make fun of you and and we've even got an example of a young girl uh, here in the states at fifth or seventh grade that went through an experience like this and came out marvelously mm. on the other side and and so uh uh, I, I think I think it's just a, a way of introducing uh, believers, families that are, it's not just the pastor that's in jail or the evangelist in jail. Uh, that family's persecuted from the youngest child to the oldest. Mm. Wow, I love that. Um, so I won't hold you to any timeline or date, but I'm looking forward to, looking forward to both, but um, hopefully... In the, sh the quicker years to come, we'll be able to see some of those those works. Um, this comes from, I think, someone uh, who has been on the field before. Um, how has so much transition affected your family life? Or did it? Did a lot of the transition moving, I think you've said, move 26 or 27 times in the past? 38. 38. 38, 38 times. Oh, man, I wasn't even close. Uh, how much did that transition affect your life or did it? Um, of course it did, but I don't think it affected it um, in a negative way. I think it was a mm. real positive. Um, and like I said earlier, it was always an adventure. Um, I think we moved quickly several times where we had to just up and sell everything and move. Um, and that's stressful, um, of course. Um, but it was always fun when we got to the new place and we learned our new rooms and we built in one place, we even built a house. Um, huh. And so that was really, really good for us. Um, the boys always seemed to find friends um, to play with. And we would um, always try to walk the neighborhood to see what was going on and where uh, the shops were and where things were. So, yeah, um, I think some of the difficulties were when we moved um, and dad was traveling so much, we had, we were living in a, in a, a more um, smaller part of, of Nairobi. And we ended up having to haul water because we didn't get water. And so that was difficult. Mm. But like I, like I said, the boys, always stepped in and helped when we lived 
uh, in South Africa. We lived on a generator and our oldest learned to fix the generator. He learned to fix the, wow. the water pump uh, because it never failed. When dad would travel, things would break. And um, of course, uh, yeah, we had one time where we moved and uh, I helped moved us. But the moment we put the boxes in the house, there was a crisis in Somalia and I had to go in for about a month and she had to unpack the whole house and set it up. And for the oh, next no. four years, I couldn't find anything. I didn't know where anything was. I was lost. Is that where it house. started? That may have been where it started. But you That's know right. what? That's Anthony, where it began. <laughs> children feed off their parents. Mm. And if the parents get all stressed out, which we do from time to time, and, and, and need to go to our children and apologize, that is really important. And just say, mm. you know, I yelled today. Or, uh, or you know, and I found... Uh, in Africa, Anthony, in 38 years, uh, in and out of sub-Saharan Africa, um, we never saw a child be spanked but one time. And that we, really? were drop, we were driving in Malawi out in the bush, and all of a sudden our oldest son said, Dad, look, look, look. And in the way his voice was, I thought somebody was being murdered. And we looked in the distance, and a, father, uh, a male... Uh, across a, a holler and, and was spanking a child. It never happens. They never touch their children. They, 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 uh, 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 and then I found, and what Africa taught me, that most of the time when I spank my children is because I needed to. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't that it was something that helped correct their behavior it was just something i needed to do because i was having a bad day and they and maybe they were being loud and maybe they but see see africans don't discipline their children what do we discipline our children over they don't eat all their food they don't put their clothes away well we've never ever met a real african kid that doesn't go to bed hungry hmm. and all these street urchins and and, and boys and girls that are on the street and little girls that are at deadly risk and, and they're going to eat everything they get. So, and, and, and you, you never, when, when they, when they wash their clothes in the rural places, they don't have clothes on because they have one mm. set of clothes. And if they have a toy, they made it. Or three or four of those boys got together and made a little car that pushes with a wire or, or a hoop that they can row. And, and, and so we punish our kids because of the stuff we give them. Mm. Think, That's very profound. Think, think of all the things we discipline our children for. It's usually over is that they are not age old enough to handle the material wealth that we give our children. And they don't put their clothes away. They don't put their toys away. Uh, they... Uh, they they are disrespectful and and and, and it's just that uh, we 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 don't do things with them, uh, take them places and 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 spend that quality time with them, and we give them so much stuff they can't handle it, mm. and 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 they'd have to work for hours just to put their toys away, and to fold their clothes and put them in the right drawer, uh, and. In the, in the places we've lived for 35 years, we've seen a child 
punished one time by spanking because they don't have to discipline their children because they don't burden, burden them with the stuff that we throw at our children. Mm. So I told my kids, I'm not going to give you anything else. No more Christmas, no more birthdays. <laughs> I'm going to give you a hot wheel for Christmas and, and give you, you know, a lollipop for, for your birthday or something like that. And they said, dad, that's not going to work. But, <laughs> but I hope you hear the seriousness and the truthfulness that generally mm. we discipline our children because of the stuff that we give them. Hmm. Well, and that goes back to the very first, one of the very first things you said. That one of the greatest inhibitions of the Great Commission is materialism and consumerism. Yeah, yeah. Man, it affects so much more and than it, we realize. And I think that's something else with the uh, the transition, how that has affected me. Moving thirty eight <coughs> times has has, I hope, helped me realize I don't have to have all the stuff because right. then I don't have I don't have to pack it all and move it. <laughs> which um, I'm, I'm there. Now, as grandma and probably grandpa and papa too, it's harder not to give stuff to our grandchildren, but we do <laughs> set limits on it and uh, how much we're going to spend. And, and so many people max out their credit cards for giving gifts when there's no model in the Bible for doing that. The right. only gifts that were given around uh, the after the birth of Jesus, Jesus was about two years of age when the wise men caught up with him, and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that was given to Jesus. There's there's no evidence in the Bible that Christmas is about us giving gifts to each other. I'm sure mm. I can find out where in history that started, but it is something that Christians have incorporated into their church life that's not biblical, not, not in the way that we do it. Mm. And that's going to remind all of our listeners that in a few weeks, Uncle Nick's going to do a Ruining Christmas podcast. <laughs> I <All> hope. Right. <laughs> Don't scare you away. Well, we've got a couple more questions, uh, and then we'll be done. But this one I think will be very quick and very easy. Uh, the question comes in, do you miss living overseas? Yes. I, uh, this has been the hardest time for Ruth to have me as a husband. <laughs> because I have been miserable. But listen, mm. it's all my responsibility. But we went from going to 80 countries and internationally just on the go and learning and being with God's people all over the planet to where we came home, ran smack into COVID, ran smack into two very serious back surgeries. So it's not just adjusting to America, which is hard enough. It's that we went mm. from going a hundred miles an hour in countries all over the world to not leaving our home. And, and and not even been mm -hmm. able to uh, to get out and go to the churches that were, uh, you know, we have, as you know, we booked uh, speaking events a year and a half to two years in advance. And 
uh, for almost two years, we couldn't do any of those. And still now right. health, health limits and, and what we can do. But coming back uh, to a place that's 83% white and uh, haven't visited but one church that has a person of color in it, uh, uh, coming back uh, to the consumerism, materialism and racism uh, uh, and, and getting in, uh, I'm sure pastors, pastors have, have, have left the ministry by the thousands because mm-hmm. people fighting over masks and shots and we come from a continent that's dying of malaria uh, uh, by the hundreds of thousands and they can't even afford mm-hmm. an aspirin. And, and I, I can understand non-believers doing this, but I, uh, walking in and, and, and finding, uh, pastors leaving their churches because they thought they had a mature church and seeing it fall apart over to wear a mask, not wear a mask, get a shot or not get a shot. And Ruth and I were not prepared for that. We, mm. we were, there was nothing in the support that we had received from churches and the love we received to prepare us uh, to come back to the States, not only uh, to the, just the materialism and racism, but also just to the anger uh, that, that, that is out there and just praying that we can help uh, bring down the temperature and help people focus on Jesus and his mission and, and not, getting caught up in secondary stuff so much. Mm. Well, I think God certainly has opened up a door for you all to be able to uh, give that example and that testimony, uh, probably maybe in such a time, um, such a time as this and just the the divide and the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but the, the hostility between people, even over these last few years, uh, that would be a hard thing to come back into to the States and, almost get kind of thrown into that culture. Um, just the, the regular American culture that's hard to adjust to from a 35 plus years overseas. And then uh, kind of that added component of just the division over these last couple of years. That would be really hard. Let me move on to another couple more questions um, before we finish. Uh, this, this comes from a, a, a worker on the field and it's kind of a specific question, but I think you're going to be able to speak a lot to what uh, the principles behind it, and I think this is going to speak to a lot of people uh, in some areas that they are, but uh, this listener wants to ask a question about church planting in hard to reach in a hard to reach country uh, where new work, new evangelism is met with hostility by the established church. So it's a place that already experiences persecution and already experiences hostility for followers of Jesus and yet, uh, there are established churches that are are hostile to new work. They're they're territorial, is what they they have said. They're they're hostile to those who are trying to reach new people. How do you uh, how do you address that? Because I would imagine that where this question comes from, there are other places around the world where we might see the exact same thing. We might even see it in the states um, if we if we think about it. How do we address that that question? I'm going to come in the back door, but I think I'll make it the front door before we're finished. The hardest place to go on earth to share the gospel 
Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. And of course, we have people by the hundreds of thousands that are going on a mission trip every year uh, uh, to South America, to Sub-Saharan Africa, all over the world they'll go. And, and, and we will write a letter or we come back home and call and thank that pastor of, uh, of the church for where that volunteer came out and served with us so well. And he said, they don't come half the time or they don't, they've never given any tithe to the church or, or they won't go across the street and share Christ. And, uh, but mm. the, the point I want to make is the hardest place on the planet, uh, to be a witness is Judea because the way I look at Judea, it's the it, it, it's it's generally you don't have to learn language, but it's generally the next race of people, and for most people that look like you and I and Ruth, uh, it would probably be African Americans, mm-hmm. and, and and so what I know to be true, is that billions of dollars, is is being used a year by well-meaning Christians, to subsidize the existing church in Pakistan in Egypt, in Jordan, all over the world, uh, in India especially, uh, because what Christians will often tell us, Christian businessmen, well, of course, people that live next to Hindus, Buddhists, uh, communists, uh, and especially Islam, uh, they know those people, and, and, and it is so much more inexpensive uh, to fund local people to reach their neighbors than it is to send uh, uh, folks internationally. Well, the the, the issue is uh, it's not happening for the most part. Uh, uh, people will evangelize and plant church if you pay them. But what Ruth and I have found, especially in Africa and also in India, that uh, uh, those who are being paid. Now, if you're a businessman, here's what we ask you to do. Uh, if there's somebody you want to support, uh, go be with that person, walk with that person, visit with that person, let them make a business plan, let them give you a financial accounting at the end of the year, just like we always have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, go when they're expecting you and go when they're not expecting you. Because it breaks my heart that 90% of all baptisms reported by local people that are supported by Westerners, uh, you, you can discount. Mm. You can discount wow. 90%. And, and, and I often say to businessmen, especially if you ran your business the way you're given to the Christian mission world, how many years would your business last? And they say, oh, it, it died one year. Well, why would you do less with God's kingdom and God's resources? Mm. And and, and, and the thing that I've seen is that, and there's real reasons for it, especially in the world of Islam, why local Christians uh, uh, don't reach out uh, to the next uh, people group around them. And of course, you have the racism bit, but generally uh, 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 the, the historical church has been allowed uh, to meet in buildings, has been allowed to have their seminaries, have been allowed to have their paid clergy, 
But when they leave the walls of that seminary and they leave the walls of the church and they start reaching people that were other uh, uh, races of people and other religions or no religion whatsoever, uh, what the government will often do and the security police will go to that church and say, it's nice that you've got your building, that you've got a paid uh, pastor. And of course, I've been paid all my life. Uh, by churches, and it's nice that you've got property and all this, but if you if you continue letting those Muslims and those Buddhists and those Hindus and those communists uh, uh, come into your church building, uh, we're going we're going to close you down. We're going to take your seminary mm. away from you. We're we're gonna we're gonna uh, 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 take your church building away. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, the persecutors, Anthony. Love, love to have local Christians funded by outsiders because they can turn it off in one night. Mm. They can stop it from coming through the banks. They can stop it from coming through the mail. Uh, One prime minister right now in one of the largest countries on earth turned, uh, there was a child adoption program and he turned 200 and some thousand children to the street but he and that same day he kicked out that that adopt that organization that worked with those children and that got sponsors in the western world he kicked them out wouldn't let them bring any more money in put those children in the street and then towed 200 a quarter of a million million children oh see we told you you never could trust those westerners you never could trust Mm. their money and of course, they're not going to tell them that they kicked them out and they stopped their bank accounts. Uh, but 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 it's deeper than that. It, it, it's much deeper than that. I have been. Uh, we have taught our material that we learned from believers in persecution for five days at a time in churches that exist in the midst of Islam. And as we listen to them and we ask them and learn from them why they're not reaching the majority people in the midst. Uh, They say, Ripken, you don't understand. You're from a Christian country. And if it's not a Christian country, it's a very strongly Christian influence country. Your pagans, your non-Christians are part-time pagans. Our pagans are full-time pagans. And our pagans, they are so lost, they cannot be saved even by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, uh, we don't want to go to heaven with them. We don't want them in the mm. kingdom of God. Wow. They and their ancestors and, and, and their religion has so persecuted us. And has uh, Listen, I have known Christian girls. Ruth knows better than I. Tell them what you know has happened to Christian girls in some of these environments. Well, in many places, they're kidnapped and married off to a man a Muslim man, and they are never seen again by their parents. Um, when they have children, the grandparents have no clue. And so mm. I think that it's 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 real. And these parents are struggle uh, with the reality that they will never see their daughter again. In one large Muslim mm. country, a pastor told me 30 in his denomination alone, 30 of their daughters and they focus on the daughters of the clergy mm. and have 
have been uh, have married Muslim men. They've been given perfume, jewelry, even cars. And then once they have married Muslim men, they disappear and their parents never see them again, never meet wow. their grandchildren. And that's been going on for mm. even before Muhammad was born. It's been going on from the onset of some of the world's religions. And if they were to take your boys or, or if you had daughters and, and you lose your daughter mm. generation after generation after generation, and we've known young Christian girls playing with their Muslim girlfriends in the street and being invited over uh, for cookies and, and the equivalent of Kool-Aid and going into that Muslim home and been forcibly circumcised mm. and then sent home with that having been done to them as a six and seven mm. year old girl. And when the parents report that horrific crime to the police, they say, well, you ought to be thankful to Allah. At least one of your daughters is a Muslim. Mm. Now, how many of your children and how many generations does that have to happen uh, for you to say no more? Mm. Uh, I, 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 and they'll say converts have foodless in the past. Uh, we've seen them come to Christ and we've helped their children uh, get into better schools. Uh, we've helped them get a job, apartment, a house, and they stay with Christianity until they've gotten every material blessing they could from the church. And then they just go back to the majority religion. They said, we've wow. been fooled like that. And, and how many times do you, uh, are you going to be called? Are, are you going to be fooled? And they say for every, they said, it's not cost effective to reach these people. Uh, we have to spend hundreds of dollars uh, in these uh, countries uh, to win somebody for Christ. And we have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to see one Muslim come to Christ or one Hindu come to Christ. And, and, and then they end up going back to Islam and, and taking whatever we shared mm. with them. I uh, said, so, uh, so uh, what, what, what you, when you talk to us, Ripken, about reaching our neighbors and loving our nature, neighbors, you don't know what our neighbors are like. You don't know what we've mm. gone through as a church for, uh, uh, for all of these years. And, and the big thing is fear. It just is huge because they just know uh, uh, in one of the largest Muslim countries, it's infamous that if you're if in your church building, your toilet stops working, you have to get permission from the office of the president to fix it. Wow. Now, that's going to really encourage you to reach the majority people living leaving next to you. But the big one is this one. We've watched if 30 Muslim men come to Christ and come into the historical church, that many fathers inside the church will take their daughters and leave. Hmm. Because even though that person is now a sincere follower of Jesus, it shames the Muslim family for him marrying a Christian woman and it shames the Christian family for her marrying a former Muslim mm -hmm. man and the shame on both sides of that in, in different DNAs, uh, different 
uh, uh, races of people they claim uh, 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 is just a, a anathema uh, 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 to both both countries. And then there's one that shocked me when you're asking the ma- majority persons to love the minority church to love the majority people and bring them to Christ. They said, you don't understand. Ripken, you, you, you don't, you don't know squat Hmm. that, that it's only in the church that there's no glass ceiling. Uh, uh, In society, we can't be uh, the governors, the police chief, the prime minister, the president. We, we can't, go to the highest places of the business world, the secular world, the, the sacred world, or, or even uh, the political mi- uh, military. We can't, we can't do that. And now you're asking us to win the majority people and bring them into our churches and they will become the majority. And where we've been the bishops and the pastors and the evangelists and the leaders in our churches now we no longer will be the leader. Now, mm. what I'm not going to say to them is this. Uh, they, need their, they need churches for their, uh, for their own background. They need churches in their own language. They need churches that grew out of their own culture. Uh, everybody deserves to worship according to their own language and their own culture. But we've all got to be willing to bring anybody and everybody in the house of God. Uh, uh, what we call, and our mission board's support, is what we call indigenous church planning. That means they don't have to become Western, become a Christian. And they don't have to have mm. a Western-style building. But if you take that and you push it to the extreme, that they are required to worship in their own uh, 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 ethnicity and they're required to worship in their own language and they're required to worship in their own locations uh, that's what we call apartheid hmm. so indigenous church wow. planning which is the norm for almost every mission agency that I know if you push it to the extreme it's apartheid and hmm. I would say it's closer to that in Western world than we would care to admit. Uh, that's exactly right. That, that we wow. care to admit. Mm. Now, people often ask. Let me us, go to our. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, people often no, ask. No, no, you us, go ahead. What 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 is what is a, a funny thing or? something that happened to you. And, <laughs> and, and again, I think we're going to write a whole book out of this, but uh, Ruth and I moved to our second country. Uh, we were learning closer language. It has three clicks. The X click is form in the back of your throat. Like the C click. If you have a C letter, you put your tongue against your teeth and you go. And the Q click is like that. And, so we're learning the language and we're learning the culture and we've just moved out into a very rural area and we're the first people of our color skin to move out there and and we have a debt we built our we built a house way out there and 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 and, and then 
we were going to, they, they, they do this thing where they kill some sheep and the church gathers around you and they march around your house like they marched around Jericho, which I don't care for that <laughs> image because you'd expect the walls to come tumbling down. Right. And, 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 and so you have 30 or 40 people coming and your neighbors and you kill some sheep and you, you walk around and then you open the house and people are welcomed into it officially for the first time. And we had an older, uh, well-respected pastor and he put it on the radio and 300 people shows up <laughs> and we had to go out and buy, you know, a, a dozen goats and about a dozen sheep and, and, and they had to be slaughtered on our property. And we had to put up a great big tent and 300 people, Christian, non-Christian showed up. And by the end of the day and everybody had walked through the house and, and it was full of flies like you wouldn't believe. And, 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 uh, and, and, and Ruth said, you know, go to the store and, and uh, 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 get me some fly spray. And I'll, I'll, I didn't even know what we could buy at the small store. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to that small store to, to, to get what we could to kill the house full. I mean, we swept them up and shoveled buckets of flies out of our house. And, That's and, horrifying. And, and so I come out of the store and this young lady that knows us as a Christian, they were from the youth group inside of South Africa that came and helped us kill the sheep and feed everybody and put the tent up and take the tent down. And they came running in the store because they saw uh, my truck and they said, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. And when I got her to settle down, uh, they had passed a, a couple of ladies uh, uh, on the side uh, of the road, uh, and one of them had been run over by a truck. And mm. so I didn't get home. Uh, Ruth sent me for a 15-minute to 30-minute task, and I came home three and four hours later after taking them to the hospital and getting this lady operated on and, and arranging mm. transportation to take her to the capital city and and Ruth just said, listen, there's just one little store there. And she said, uh, just go to the store. It'll be the first time ever and get some sugar for me and I'll bake a cake. And so I go to the store and what they do, uh, you don't go to the store and buy things off the shelf. Uh, uh, you go and stand behind uh, in front of this great big counter that comes almost up to your chest. And you tell <laughs> the young ladies or whoever is waiting on you what you want and they'll walk through the store and get what you want and come and put it on the on the counter and then you pay for it you have to bring your own bags and everything and, hmm. and there's no shoplifting and 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 they'll be able to manage their inventory and so i went there and i'm going to use my closer language because a young lady doesn't uh, speak any english and so she said the fella can i help you and i said yeah uh, uh, and I told her that my wife, uh, and the young girl screamed and ran away. And, and, I, and I thought, well, that's unusual. And another girl comes up and says, what do you want? And I said, uh, uh, Mimi and I talk to Eastway Lake Healy. And she screams and runs away. And, and I go through three young girls in that story store. And I look up. And there's this older gentleman 
whose office was like 13 steps up above the store. And he comes sedately down the steps, walks up to the uh, counter and, and says, uh, uh, Reverend Ripken, uh, tell me what you want and, and tell me in English. And I said, uh, I've been just asking the, uh, the, the young ladies that work for you for a bag of sugar so I could take it home and the wife could bake it, uh, bake a cake for us. He said, well, sugar uh, uh, is Iswakili. And you've been asking for Iswakili. You added an L-E to the word. Iswakili is sugar. Iswakili is a dead body. <laughs> and he says, nobody has ever met you white people. And they wonder what you're doing in that house by yourself. Uh, 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 what do you eat? What, how do you clothe yourself? And the first time you come buying something, you ask for a dead body so you can take it home for your wife to cook it. He said, you have terrorized my ladies. And he said, it'll take them some time to get over it. Well, I have made worse mistakes than that, but I am not going to tell you that on the radio or podcasts or anything else. It is the, it's really bad. So that's the worst one I can tell you and keep it clean halfway. So the others are going to be for the book but, that but you, you know, publish the day before you die. When you got something in your head, it's hard to unlearn what you've learned. And, 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 and mm -hmm. the construction guys that were part of the ones teaching me the Kosa language on purpose would teach me the bad words on purpose. <laughs> And, and, and I used some of them around the Baptist director, the local guy. And he says, Nick, our teenagers in all of our black churches in South Africa, they love it when you preach because you have the most colorful language. <laughs> but he said, the problem is you're going to have to start checking some of the words that you use uh, with us before you use them because uh, you're using curse words in the pul pulpit. But when you when you truly barefoot the language, construction people particularly, and even business people will just use that in everyday language, and you don't know it for what it really is. And so asking right. to buy a dead body so that Ruth could cook it and serve it to our family, uh, that went throughout that small town that night. <laughs> and I would walk by people, and they'd just look at me and start laughing. <laughs> Are they? Are the, I, mean, I would walk, too. Or I'd walk by them and they'd say, "Eastway Lake Healy, dead body, dead body, dead body." <laughs> so you've got to have. If you lose your sense of humor, uh, it's one thing to tell a joke; it's the other thing to be the joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, aren't you so glad that they were um, a little more gracious than a lot of other cultures would be for? <laughs> That kind oh, of mistake. Yeah. We've had friends say things oh, to gosh. Arab men about their daughters and do the same mistake, and it was a killing matter. It could have been. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> they oh, write, man. Yeah, well, you should write a song about that. I can't imagine. I can only imagine. I oh, can yeah. Only imagine. That's already been written. They even, I, made, a, they even made a movie of it. But I think uh, a parody of I can only imagine. 
chronicling all of your mistakes overseas. I think that could be, I think that could be an award winner as long as Ruth sings and you don't sing. <laughs> well, Nick and Ruth, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a, a, an amazing time answering questions from our listeners. And I know for a fact that they uh, are going to walk away with a lot of really good information. Uh, a few things not to do um, when learning language and culture, of course, but also a lot of really good things to do from scripture, uh, ministering, being obedient, going overseas, living life where you are uh, in whatever location God has had you. So thank you uh, for your time today. And we'll do this again um, sometime soon, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being just an example and being willing to to hear questions from our listeners and and give us honest and transparent answers about uh, how we can navigate life uh, as we follow Jesus. We're obedient to the Great Commission. So thank you both so much. And Ruth, thank you again for being with us and uh, being our better half today, or better 75%, I guess, is really the number. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're getting with the program finally. <laughs> of course. Uh, I never said I wasn't a slow learner, so... <laughs> Well, thank you both. And thank you to our listeners. You've been listening to Witness and Persecution with Nick and Ruth Ripken. If you would like more information about our ministry, including how to support our ministry and finding more resources, you can go to www.nickripkin.com. Again, you can go to www.nickripkin.com for more information about our ministry and ways that you can support Nick Ripkin Ministries.